Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. We're all extensions of who he is. The branch that's connected to the same vine here and it's connected to the same vine. We're not getting oranges over here and apples over here. Woo! Because what flows through me as a branch, if you're connected as you say you're connected, is going to... The fruit that I bear should be very similar to the fruit that others bear because we're all connected to the same... First John 4, 21. And this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God love his brother also. And the standard, here's the big thing. The standard, it's not the big thing, but another thing. The standard of love we ought to have to one another, Scripture tells us, it should be as he has loved us. In verse 12, as I have loved you he has had toward each of us a love he says no one has had any greater love than this than a person or a man would lay down his life for their friends and notice this is pre-crucifix so jesus is really doing a little foreshadowing here for all the english majors out there he's foreshadowing what would take place His literal life hasn't been taken yet. No doubt he has given himself in his earthly ministry. So I guess he has given his life in certain modes and fashions already for the three and a half years that he spent with his disciples upon the earth. But his literal life hasn't been laid down yet. And I like this. The, 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 uh, uh, the Passion Translation is just for the New Testament. As a matter of fact, uh, it's been some time ago, Brother Wedding kind of turned me on to this and uh, kind of put it in my version, whatever, library of, of things. It says like this, for the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. Therefore, the greatest love or expression of love, watch, is seen in what one surrenders for that which it loves. For what one surrenders for that which it loves. What are you willing to surrender? Wave the white flag. Give up. Sacrifice. We want to use that word. For what you love. Or let's state it another way. What you give up and surrender shows. Indicates. Underscores. Emboldens. Let's use all the other words that we can't find along those lines. What you love. Amen. For Jesus, he surrendered his life. And he desires that we would surrender. He's not asking us to die on the tree. But no, just think about it for a moment. He wants love to be reciprocated. And you might not go to a tree, but there are parts of your life 
that He'd really like for you to surrender because you're in love with Him. And likewise, for one another. And He says, the man that lays down his life, he does this for his friends, and he turns right around and kind of includes the... That's just a statement by itself. But then he turns right around and said, and ye are my friends. And ye are my friends. What's he saying? He's saying, then, if I were to show you great love, great love would be laid down my life. He's not done it yet. But he's letting them know this is what it looks like when a man calls somebody his friends. And ye are my friends. He tells them friends. He says, you're not servants. What he states in the Scripture? He says, you're not servants. He said, but you're friends. I call you friends because... An individual doesn't share with a servant everything that's on their mind, everything that's in their heart, everything that they're going to do. They're a servant. He says, but to a friend, you have those conversations in secret no one else knows about, but you divulge everything about yourself. (sighs) To the other person, you share with them things that you plan on doing before you even do them. He's trying to open their understanding about some things because he says, friends, friends are ones that I fill in the details with. And we see this in the Old Testament. We sing about it around here. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Right? We don't sing it like that. Maybe we should try it sometime. But in the Old Testament, Abraham is called the friend of God. Of God, right? A good picture of why Abraham is called a friend of God is because like Genesis 17, 18, 19, right in there, whenever there was going to come the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah because of the wickedness and the sodomy that's taken place there, and the angels are going to go destroy them, and one of those angels are the angel of the Lord, which many times depicts almost God, some theophany, some type of uh, image of God that was expressed these three go by Abraham's house before they ever go to Sodom and Gomorrah. And God says something of this effect. I wonder if I should show Abraham about what I'm about ready to do to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because I know he'll bring his children upright. You know what he's stating in that? I'm going to fill him in on some details. I'm going to divide. Why? Because Abraham was a friend. Could have went to any other tent, but he went by his friend's tent, the one that he would willingly divulge this information to. Amen. Not only that, friends seem to be those that are close. All right? I'm not saying necessarily distance, because I have friends that are not close to me distant-wise, but I think I would count them as close. It's kind of like along the lines, uh, the Bible says that David and and some of his mighty men were, were in war and they were in battle, yet there were particularly three of the mighty, three particular ones of the mighty, the Bible says, that when they were, let me say it like this, when they, when they were out in the battlefield, they were close enough to their king that when he mentioned, I'd really like some water from the wells of Bethlehem. These three, because they were close enough to him, 
I realize in this episode it was a literal closeness, but I believe there's a figurative closeness too. Since they were close enough to him, when they heard that, they went down and they broke through a line to the well of Bethlehem and brought some water back to David. They knew the heart of their king because they were close to the king. Amen. So we see this over and over again in Scripture. He says, you're my friends, and so I divulge things unto you. So here we are uh, in this time of the New Testament, and we're under Roman rule, and there's the Roman Empire, and in the Roman courts or the land of the eastern kings of this day, there was a custom. There was only a few among their kingdom of Roman kings of that day who held the title of friends of the king. Very few people would hold the title or the label of friend of the king. However, these individuals who were labeled or denoted as friends of the king, according to culture, had unfettered access to the king. They were known to have close connection with the king. Even beyond, get this, even beyond the king's statesmen and beyond his generals, the friends had a more intimate and close connection than those that warred for the king. What are you saying? I'm saying they abode in the vine. And the vine abode in them. Look what verse 16 says in in our text. He says, says, now you've not chosen me. I've chosen you. All right. Let's look at these different things that Jesus Christ has done then. He has chosen us. He says, I've ordained you. Which means he set us. He set us. He has put us. He has placed us. He's established us. I have ordained you. To what purpose though? Look at it now. To go and bring forth fruit. That your fruit would remain. Here's the awesome thing about being connected to the vine. The Lord Jesus Christ. Warren Wiersbe said it like this. And I think there is something here. He says, whatever is born of the Spirit of God has the mark of eternity on it, and it will last. I'm not, I'm not preaching anything, you know, uh, election and eternal and once saved, always saved, or anything like that. But I am saying, as long as you keep your connection where it needs to be, then salvation will be where it needs to be. Redemption will, will be where it needs to be. There is a eternity or something eternal with going along, being connected. Amen. And he also told us then, he said, then also in addition to all this, he said that your fruit may remain, colon, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you, that what we ask, he'll give it. And so there is a, there is a, there is a part that the fruitfulness of the disciples is tied, yes, to the connection to the vine, but there's this thing that that connection is somewhat maintained by prayer. Whenever you read Ephesians 6 and you go through all the armor of God and the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the God, this, the, 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 the belt of truth, the feet shot, the preparation of the gospel, and above all, taking the shield of faith, and whenever it gets through with all these things, I think the last one is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It then says, praying always. You got all this armor, but yet it's, it's like undone. The mechanism of, of, of it moving and operating is through the power of prayer. And our connection to the vine in many ways is, is safeguarded through prayer. Yeah. You want to stay connected to him? Talk to him. Amen. 
digging his word. And so in verse 17, he tells us again, love one another. That kind of answers to the first bookend, as I'm calling it, verse number 9, where he told us that we should have love and continue in his love one to the other. So we have verse 12, really, and verse 17. Verse 12 and verse 17, that we love one another. And here's the reason why. He tells us twice, love one another, says some stuff, says love one another. Because here's where it's either a love or a hate relationship. Because you will not get it from the world as long as you stay connected to me. As long as you stay connected to the Lord, it'll be a love relationship on the Lord's side, but it'll be a hate, that's a strong word, relationship from the world on this side, as long as you stay connected as a branch. So with the present standing of the disciples as a Christian, and verse 19 tells us, we're about ready to read this, the world loves their own. The world loves their own. The world loves those that are like them. We'll get there in just a moment. So there's a contrast here between these two sections, the love section with the Lord. If you're going to walk in step with the Lord, you're going to walk out of step with the world. If you walk in step with the world, you're going to walk out of step with the Lord. If you are in love relationship with the world, then it's going to be a hate or a rejection relationship, which is more suitable for the word hate here, a rejection relationship with the Lord. But if you walk in a love relationship with the Lord, you're going to get a rejection relationship with the world. You cannot have love on both sides. John 15, verse 18. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world... The world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also, pers they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent him. If I had not come and spoken unto them, speaking of the world, they had, and all humanity for that matter, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. <laughs> he that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not, they had not had sin. That's almost a, just a tongue twister there. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the comforters come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. The world, Christ says, the world hated me first. Before it ever hated you, it hated me first. Now it's hating you because you're connected to what it first hated. 
It hated me first. You can look back in our John study. Look back at John 7, 7. We learn why, particularly, the world hates Jesus. Because he unveiled, pointed out, enlightened them that their deeds and their works were evil. It's the reason why we see in the scripture that they love darkness more than they love the light. Because in darkness, all that they did and who they were and what they'd done was cloaked in darkness. No one was none the wiser. But when the light comes, all things are revealed. He said, they hated me first, and I told them their deeds were evil, and so they hate you. How many times, really, folks? And you'll have to remember back in our study, have people tried to seize the Lord, take the Lord, incarcerate the Lord, take his life before his time? All these different attempts upon him from religious people and just worldly people and so on and so forth because they got a bone to pick with the Lord. Because he just puts a mirror in front of people and lets them see themselves as they are. Hebrews 12 and verse 3, notice this goes with looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. This is the next verse, Hebrews 12 and verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction. We'll look at that and go to read a few different versions to help you out. Of sinners against himself, lest we be wearied, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So consider the Lord whenever you think about yourself. Consider the Lord when you think of the own things. Your, your own things that you suffer. Let me read just a few versions of this. The New Living Translation says it like this. I'm not reading the whole verse, just that part with the contradiction of sinners. Think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people. The Good News Translation says, think of what he went through and how he put up with so much hatred from sinners. The, 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 the Net Bible says, think of him who endured such opposition against himself by sinners. He says, as you're suffering some things, think about what he went through. As he's enduring, as you're enduring some hostility, as there's some opposition and maybe some difference there, you feel the friction from the world, then think about what he felt. Because he was hated first. He says plainly, we are not of, everybody say of, small word, powerful word. For we are not of the world. Of. Two letters. O-F in our English language. We are not of. But even in the Greek it bears out. That the word of is tying you to a place of origin. A source. We are not of. The, the world is not my origin. The world is not my source. The world is not what begot me. We are not of the world. The world is not our origin. It's not my sense of identity. He says, we are in the world. He says, I want to make a, this plain. You're not of it. You're in it. We're all in it. But just because you're in it doesn't mean you're of it. Just because you're in it doesn't mean you have to be of it. Just because you're in it doesn't mean you have to be identified by it. Just because you're in it doesn't mean it's your source, your place of origin, your starting point. Just, We're in the world. He says, but Christ chose us out of the world for the purpose to be attached to him, tethered to him, being the vine, and as a result of it, they hate us for it. Classic Amplified Version says, if you belonged to the world, the world would treat you with affection and would love you as its own. 
Passion Translation says, but because you won't align yourself with the values of this world, they will hate you. And again, the word hate, that's a strong word. It really breaks down. They'll reject you. They'll reject you. Well, here's what happens. According to the word. The right living of, of these of these days, people were Christians that were Christ-like and following the Lord, disciples. The right living of Christians, you know what happened? Their right living in the world that they were not of convicted those who were in the world. Many sometimes will call that you're condemning them. But they are mistaking conviction for condemnation. It's really a conviction. Nobody's, you don't have to point a finger. You don't have to say anything. You live your life as being connected to the vine. And you can be rejected just by living your life. Proverbs 29 and verse 27 says this. And this is King James Version since we've been all over the map. Just let you know where we're at. An unjust man is an abomination to the just. The word abomination there means disgusting or abhorrence. And he that is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. You get this? The unjust to the just and the upright to the wicked. Abomination, disgusting, abhorrence. <sighs> Leaves a bad taste in your mouth. So the disciples' right living alongside the way of the world, the way that they live, listen, will amplify and contrast the evil or the good, whichever side you're on living going on in each other's life. You have someone that's living worldly, you have someone that's living godly, and there's automatic amplification of contrast. If I'm looking at the worldly ones, like, whoa. If the worldly ones look at me, they're like, whoa. Or at least there should be. Is this okay? If your quote-unquote right living isn't an abomination in the sight of the worldly and the wicked, then you're not quite living right yet. Proverbs. Proverbs. It's going gonna, it's gonna to amplify. And this is seen all the way back in the beginning, folks. This is not something we're just pulling out of the New Testament Scripture. We see this, this simple reason of why always, all the way back into the beginning, even between Cain and Abel. Watch me now, 1 John chapter 3. This is the scripture, but it's talking about the story back in the creative book of Genesis. Verse 11, this is King James. For this is the message that we heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, but notice now, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Why did he slay him? Because his own works were evil and his brothers 
two boys born from the same parents, one living godly and one living ungodly. And the ungodly says, I took the godly out. Huh? I took the godly out because my works were evil and his were amplification. Because just by Abel being my brother amplified that I wasn't walking in accordance to the vine. Amen. That took him out. <laughs> Verse 13, marvel not, my brethren, based upon this, marvel not if the world hates you. I mean, if own flesh and blood, one took out the other because of a righteous and an unrighteous, marvel not that the world rejects you. Marvel not. We know, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. In death, what are you talking about? You are still dead in your trespasses and sins if you love not your brother. And your brother is the one that's connected to the same source that you are. Amen. Am I doing okay? So, there's this hatred, there's this rejection. Even in the New Testament church, hatred and rejection for many reasons, all right? When Christianity first came in the New Testament Scripture and, and, and in the first century, whenever it first came, uh, the Roman, the Roman government, the Jews are in Judaism is under the Roman government, so on and so forth, and they accounted Christianity as just a part or parcel or, or a section or a group of Judaism, and so they tolerated it as a result of that. But as time went on, they come to find out, you know what? Uh, Christianity is really distinct from Judaism. And so they then deemed it as illegal. Illegal to be a Christian. And so on a religious level, they hated them as a result of it. And so the meetings of the Christians, they were coming together. They were taking the Lord's Supper. All right? They, and listen, to somebody that doesn't know, if you're going to talk about eating the Lord's body and drinking his blood, there's something wacky going on. Right? But he, even as he explained in John, this was symbolism. You know, the taking of the bread, symbolical of his body, taking of the fruit of the vine, of the blood of the New Testament. But if you're an outsider, you know, and you're over here and they're eating somebody's body and drinking their blood, woohoo! We got more than something illegal going on here. They need to be in a padded room. Right? And then they have this stuff. We read in the epistles, they're greeting one another with a holy kiss. Woohoo! But the holy kiss, all the way back to Jacob and Esau days, of when they met each other and kissed each other, it was a sign of forgiveness and reconciliation. And so they made it a common practice of theirs to always be in a mode of forgiving and reconciling. Oh, we need some holy kisses in the church. Figuratively. I'll give my wife a holy kiss later tonight. For forgiveness and reconciliation. That's what it's for, Lord. Someone's going to go out now and cause some type of offense so they can try to get a kiss of forgiveness. No young person get that in your mind. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but out of context, this, you know, that's a little weird. So they hate them for it. And so here's other, not just on a religious level, but on a social level. Listen to me very clearly. Much of the public life of the time and the social gatherings of the time of Rome and in that area centered around idolatrous worship and idolatrous sacrifice. 
to their deities. What I'm telling you, this was Roman world. If they were going to have sporting events, it usually, it usually centered around some type of idolatrous worship or sacrifice. If they were going to have some type of theatric you know, play in the Colosseum or down in the amphitheater, it usually involved some type of idolatrous sacrifice or worship. Therefore, as a result of that, Christians did not go to the event or the play because idol worship was involved. And since they didn't, think of it. This is the best thing going. Oh, God. This is the best thing going. They hated them for it. You, whatever names they would call them back then, I bite my thumb at you. I don't know. E too, Brute. Bite my thumb at you. A lot better than what they say today. It has some similar words in the sentence. <laughs> they did not participate because of what was involved. Bishop Tenney, he's dead and gone now. But he says, go do whatever you want as long as you got control of the environment. He said, but if you don't have control of the environment and it can lead down slippery slopes and things that are against, he said, then you might want to hightail it out. Amen. So they were hated socially. They were hated economically. Why? Because we see the big thing, Demetrius, the silversmith, remember him? There was a girl that had been following Paul and Silas. Oh, this, these, these will tell you about the Lord. What she was saying, true, but she was, the, the mode by which it was coming about was demonic. Amen. He turned around and rebuked her, been following for several days, cast unclean spirits out of her. She was some soothsayer, and she was used. She made some gains and money for those who owned her. Idols in the, in, in the places that they went where they begin to preach Jesus. The people who made the idols, the blacksmiths and the people that carved the stone and the wood and all those tradesmen that made these things. No one started buying them, didn't buy them anymore because they found Jesus. And their prophets went down. They hated them for it. They hated them for it. <laughs> Amen. And so, is everybody doing Okay. My phone's trying to die, so if I go long, it's because that happened. We'll say. The Roman, the Roman Empire is so vast, very vast. Roman, the old Roman Empire was quite vast. All right, it's wrapping around from Italy and over to the Middle East and down over to Egypt, vast. And so they needed some type of unifying element to keep everybody together because it's kind of like this. You're over here tightening this nut, and that nut over there gets loose, and it was hard to keep this, this unification among them and so between the people and between the countries. And so the people, the people of Rome, or the Roman Empire, I should say, thought that the emperor embodied the spirit of Rome. And as a result of that, they eventually began to revere the emperor of Rome as a god himself. 
And so as time went on, they would use that as their unifying link. People were grateful for Rome and the freedom that Rome gave them and the justice that Rome gave them. And the only thing then that Rome then began to ask of them is that annually each year they would take a pinch of incense, they would cast it up on the altar, and they would claim this simple thing, Caesar is Lord or Caesar is Master. Well, guess what? The Christians wasn't going to do that because according to them, there was only one that was Lord. And that was Christ. Christ was Lord. Guess what? That made them a target because they put Christ first. And so here's the thing. Once an individual in the empire of Rome would do their little yearly pinch of incense and call to Caesar that Caesar is the Lord and call him Lord, the, the, the way that they provided for them is after you've done that, as long as you do that, you can worship any God you want to. We don't care, but you got to give prominence and preeminence First and foremost, that Caesar's Lord and then go worship whatever you want to. But Christians, although there's that little segue, they could do that and then just go worship. They didn't do it. Why? Because their love was going to remain unmixed. They was going to have their allegiance to God and to God alone. And as a result of it, they were hated for it. And some died. Not everybody did it. Guaranteed, there were some quote-unquote Christians that did their little pinch, said Caesar's Lord, and then went over to the synagogue, tried to learn about the Torah. Not much different than some of us do today. We're going to give our little pinch out here and then we'll come in here and still just try to serve the Lord. But you got mixed love. You got diluted allegiance. It's either a love or hate, a love or rejection relationship. Oh, Jesus, help us. So the servant is not greater than his Lord. And he says, you face what you face because of my namesake. Or literally, because of Paul. Because of Christ. You, you, you face what you face because of my namesake. His name was his nature. Because of who I am. Because I came and I spoke. I, I spoke words and I also did works among you. And the works and the words that I did was God's. Amen. And what I did among them, no other man could do. And he says, if I had not spoke those words and done those works, they had not had sin. Meaning this, they would have had no knowledge of sin. Because, see, that's the powerful thing about the law of the Old Testament. You don't know your speed until you see a sign that says what the speed limit is. Right? right? Yeah. Sometimes I'm going along the road and I'm, you know, see a cop and ask my wife, what's the speed limit? You know, right? Because I'm not sure what it is and if I'm abiding or breaking. Right. I don't know. Right. I'm speeding until I know what the speed limit is. Right. Right. Christ said, if I never showed up, if I never said anything... If I never did a work, said they would be ignorant about their lives. But when the standard showed up, when the light shined in the world, they now had a knowledge of their own sin. The Bible says in Romans 3.20 that by the law is the knowledge of sin. And what did Jesus do? He says, I didn't come to do away with the law. I didn't come to destroy the law. I didn't come to annihilate the law. He said, I came to fulfill the law. What you had in Jesus was the law personified. What you had in Jesus was the living and breathing law walking among mankind. And as a result of it, he shined light upon people's sin and they had to confront it. They either had to do something about it or continue living in their sin and they hated him because he gave them a knowledge they would just rather be ignorant about 
And the Bible says they hated him without a cause. The Amplified says it like this, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Once he showed up, they had no excuse. I know what I'm doing, when I'm doing it, how I'm doing it, what? He says, you have no excuse. He said, for that matter, you look verses 26, 27. I'm talking real fast because I want to get done. He says, as a matter of fact, there's coming a day. It's coming very soon when I go away. I'm going to send the comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Ghost. And it's going to be a witness. And it's going to testify to the fact that the world doesn't have a handle or a foothold on me when it comes to a cause for their hatred. The Holy Ghost is going to testify. And he even looked at those disciples and he said, all of humanity, amen, are going to testify. Amen. Those that have not rejected me, they're going to bear witness to the fact that they hated me without a cause. I'm closing. I really am. Give me five minutes. Verse 22, look at it. He's talking about these things he had spoken, he had done, and they would not have sinned if he had not done it. Look at verse 22. But now... The latter phrase there after the colon. But now they have no cloak for their sin. A cloak for sin, again, listen to me, is as old as creation. It's as old that the as old as the first thing that Adam and Eve did when they came to the awareness of their nakedness, which was a result of their transgression, their disobedience. What did they do? They sought for a covering. They sewed fig leaves together and made them aprons. And when that didn't suffice, when they heard the voice of the Lord coming down in the cool of the day, they went and hid themselves among the trees seeking a cloak, seeking a covering. And when that didn't work, when the Lord addressed Adam about him doing what he did and eating of the tree and his transgression what did he start to do well this woman that you gave me a cloak and whenever he addressed Eve about why she did what she did and she turns to the serpent and said well but the serpent a cloak cloak for their sin fig leaves trees blame a cloak for their sins they're trying to excuse themselves by blaming some trying to excuse themselves for blaming someone else. Listen, and I know sometimes everybody has different paths and backgrounds and we try to hang certain things on what we are and what we do because of what mom and dad or what and all that. And I understand all that and I understand there might be a certain degree, but somewhere along the way, if you've been redeemed, you've been redeemed. I can't start blaming this, that, and the other one. This is why I'm still like that, and that's why I still fornicate, and that's why I still... No, 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 no. That's just looking and searching for a cloak. You're just trying to find something to hide under so you can go about your pernicious ways. That's not God's will. That's not being a part of a branch that's connected to the vine. Everything they tried was insufficient. Everything, stand with me. Everything they tried was insufficient to be a cloak for their sin, for their transgression. I preached a sermon a long time ago. I mean a long time ago, like early evangelism years, very early, about the ultimate cover-up that follows right along this line. And there was a verse in Scripture that I, I remember. It was the go-to. It was around that whole sermon. What it, was, it was centered around. And it was this verse, Proverbs 17 and verse number 9. 
He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. Go, go to the next. Go to the, is it there? Yeah, he that covereth a transgression. That first phrase. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. And again, the ETH, I've told you this before, the ETH, anytime you see it in that Bible, it usually means a cover and continues to cover. A seek and continue to seek. It's not just a one time, it's a continued thing. And notice, it's a transgression, just a single act. So he that covers, or he that covers and continues to cover, a single act of transgression seeks and continues to seek love. And note, Proverbs 10, 12, you can look at it in your Bibles later. The Bible says, for love covers all sins in another place in the New Testament, a multitude of sins. You're looking for a cloak. You're looking for a covering. And you're doing that because you got this sin. And that's there because you're aware of it because of Christ and you hate him and reject him because now this is here and there's not a sufficient covering. But what Proverbs tells me, all those times you look for a covering, what you're really seeking that you've not got your finger on yet is love because love is a sufficient covering for your past, for your mistake, for your sin. So in essence, in essence, the hate in some regard is a cover for what they long for, which is really love. Why do I do what I and I don't like others that do other things than I do and I have this problem with God and, and you're covering and you're covering what it is you wouldn't be able to admit it with your lips but you really hope and desire that you could be a firm founded branch on his vine without wavering what you're really perplexed about is that you've not yet got down that principle of abiding in him and him in you. Yeah. Someone say amen. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. It's either a love or a hate relationship when you're with the Lord. It's love on his side. It's rejection on this side. You can't have it both ways. People try to live and endeavor to have it both ways. But it's diametric in Scripture. Who's a friend of the world? It's enmity against God. You see that constant back and forth thing. You might think you're walking the dog with it, but it's not so. It's not so. Sparrow heads here tonight. Father, I come to you. God, I'm so thankful. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.